Good morning to each one. <clears throat> this past week, there's a, a song had been running through my mind. It's the song um, titled, I Will Be True to Thee, which begins, first line there says, fully surrendered, Lord divine. <clears throat> Often when I'm um, considering a topic to speak on, my mind tends to go to uh, the things that I feel like I'm in need of myself. So this morning, this is for me, but it can be for you if you'd like as well. <clears throat> Surrender uh, carries a negative connotation as a rule. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines uh, defines the verb tense of surrender this way. It says, to yield to the power, control, or possession of another upon compulsion or demand. <clears throat> and to yield uh, to someone else is definitely not what the world around us tells us to do. <clears throat> that is an almost unthinkable position. Uh, no one should be able to tell us what we should do or think, right? We should be able to do or to think just about anything we want to as long as it makes us happy. From the things we buy, the places we go, the activities we engage in, all the ways, all the way to being uh, the extremely ridiculous, uh, like changing genders or identifying as a cat, anything we want to dream up, uh, whatever we think makes us happy as long as it doesn't hurt someone else. <clears throat> it doesn't have to make sense. Whatever floats your boat. Um, no one should be able to tell us what to do. <clears throat> and this is the reality of the world we live in today. This is the reality of a lot of influential people. <clears throat> it seems like with uh, the way news travels today, with the internet, with... Um, so many different social platforms, uh, it seems that these people have a way of getting their message out more so than it used to be, maybe. <clears throat> the world says that to surrender to a higher, a higher moral power is unthinkable. And the further humanity gets from a system that is based on the moral code that God has established, uh, the more we will see these kinds of selfish pursuits happening. This type of spiritual degeneration that we, we see in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, it says, For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, uh, verse 4, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and so on. These are, these are evidences of not, surren not surrender. And this kind of mindset is not going to be fixed with a new president or with a more conservative Supreme Court or so on. It's going to get worse and worse in the world. Um, until there's a major upset at some point. 
whatever that may be. And we can and we should pray for revival, but the general direction that this world is headed in is not toward God. <clears throat> to surrender in battle is almost the worst case scenario for an army. To cry uncle in a wrestling match means the end for the one who has no more options. To surrender your car keys to the finance company means that you'll be walking instead of riding. <clears throat> but I would like to propose this morning that surrender is not always a bad thing. In fact, it may be one of the keys to true happiness. <clears throat> In scripture, we have a number of examples of those who surrendered themselves willingly. The word surrender does not appear in the King James Version. but There are a number of other translations that do use the word, but I'm looking at the act of surrender this morning. A surrender of one's will, one's personal preferences, or one's supposed rights. In Genesis chapter 22, we have the story of Abraham being tested by God, and this was a test of Abraham's surrender. And he chose to surrender his feelings and his doubts and to trust God implicitly. This is a story, a it's a beautiful picture of Abraham's faithfulness and God's provision. In the past, Abraham had doubted God. He had, had tried to have children in his own way instead of waiting on God. But by asking Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, God was testing him to see if he trusted him. And he did. Abraham's faith in God was so great that he was willing to give him his only son, trusting that God would bring him back from the dead. <clears throat> when he and Isaac left to go up into the mountain, Abraham told his servants, we will return. Or we will come back to you. <clears throat> And Hebrews 11, 17 through 19 says this. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said in Isaac, your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. <clears throat> And we're still experiencing the blessing of Abraham's surrender today. We cannot forget that the surrender that Jesus himself experienced by being willing to leave heaven and become human. Uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty poverty might become rich. You know, this side of heaven, uh, we cannot begin to imagine all that Christ gave up to take on humanity. He who was rich in every way imaginable chose to become poor. He chose to have less, to be a nobody, so that we might have the opportunity to experience heaven one day ourselves. <clears throat> And I believe that we should look intentionally, that we should intentionally look to Jesus in his life on earth 
for examples of ways to live. He left big, he left big shoes to fill. <clears throat> if we are looking for ways to emulate Jesus and the way that he interacted with people while he was here, we'll have many opportunities. <clears throat> Jesus left us another example of surrender in Matthew 26, verse 42, where he was praying in the garden there shortly before his death. He said, Oh, my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. He was willing to undertake suffering like we will never be asked to suffer. And he was willing. He understood, I believe, what was at stake. He knew what was being asked of him before he left heaven. <clears throat> and I believe this was far more than just a physical death. Now, many people have been martyred and remained faithful, but the suffering that, that Jesus was willing, or that Jesus undertook, um, was spiritual in nature. And he was about to take on the sins of the entire world. <clears throat> we cannot pretend to understand what that meant and how it would have affected us. But he was willing to surrender himself to God's will. Turn with me to Romans chapter 6. I'd like to read this entire chapter. <clears throat> I had mentioned earlier that the usual, about the usual negative connotations for the word surrender. But is that how we normally think of our surrender to the will of God? Is it a negative or a restrictive thing? Are we limiting our freedoms or our happinesses by surrendering to God? And Paul deals with that in this chapter. He, if we die with Christ, we live with him. If we're buried with him, we walk in newness of life. That doesn't sound too restrictive to me. The picture painted here of a person who has been enslaved by sin is not an, an attractive picture but Paul makes sure to point out that there is an alternative. <clears throat> Romans chapter 6. <clears throat> what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who died has been freed from sin. Now, if we, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that through you, that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were freed in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. <clears throat> Surrender in human terms may not sound appealing, but in the terms of our Christian faith, surrender is the necessary means by which we put ourselves in subjection, subjection to or we submit to the proper authorities. We must give up our right of self-determination in some way so as to follow the orders of the one in authority. In scripture, everyone is subject to God and the government, which is the authority by God, which we see back in Romans chapter 13, verse one. Uh, Christians are subject to one another. We see that in Ephesians five. Wives are to submit to their husbands as the church submits to God. We see that in Ephesians 5 as well. Children are to submit to the Lord. I'm sorry. Children ought to submit to their parents in the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6. And there's other, other verses like that. And all these situations and relationships, real submission or subjection cannot take place until the person proves willing to surrender to the will of the prophet. To the one in proper authority. <clears throat> we won't take time this morning to delve into all the problems that come when mm -hmm. someone else's authority is not godly, but we need to understand that since all authority is under God himself, we should never surrender to human authority that requires us to sin against God. <clears throat> Surrender is one of the most difficult things that any one of us can do. Whether we want to admit it or not, we like to maintain the power or the pride that, um, that we think we have. We like to think of ourselves as in control. 
or doing well, especially um, in our culture, uh, giving in seems to be um, the worst possible thing that one could do. But when we consider surrender in the light of, of Romans chapter 6 that we just read, uh, just as we were all slaves to something, whether we admit it or not, we also surrender to something. We always give up or give in to something. It may be the ways of the world as evidenced in society or culture or family or education. Um, it may be one's overvalued view of self. It may be just a constant giving in to one's desires. Yet in all those ways, a person is surrendering, giving in to forces that work around, around them or within them. <clears throat> but the alternative is to surrender one's will to God's will. In verses 16 through 18 there, we are told to consider ourselves as slaves of God. And in order to do that, we must surrender our will to him. And this is not a forced surrender. This is voluntary. And it may seem scary or it may seem like an admission of weakness. But that's why we must always remember that God is faithful and worthy of our trust. And that his power is made perfect in weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10 says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in, in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distress, distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. <clears throat> There is freedom and surrender because that's where we find grace. One definition of grace is unmerited favor. We cannot earn grace. We cannot buy grace. We do not deserve God's grace. But we can experience God's grace when we surrender ourselves to him. And that's a daily process. Now, how nice would it be that if we could make one grand gesture of surrender, and then it would be done with for the rest of our lives. But I don't think it works that way. I, I find it for myself, it's a daily, nearly constant laying aside of the flesh, of what the flesh would have me do. <clears throat> I wish I could say with the songwriter that I'm fully surrendered. But in reality, I don't find that to be the way it is. The old nature is still there. Unfortunately, it doesn't wither away with age. It's a struggle as long as we live to control the flesh. <clears throat> and maybe you don't agree with that. Maybe that's not the way you find it, and that's fine. But I believe surrender to God's will to be an ongoing process, not something that is once and done. So I have a, a number of practical ways here to help in the surrender process. And I recognize that surrender is different, or it looks different for everyone. We're not all, we are all made in the image of God, but our relationship with him is personal. And he doesn't necessarily use a cookie cutter when working with us to make us more like Jesus. <clears throat> the number one is simply to acknowledge God. Mark 8, 34 through 38 says this, 
When he who had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, Whosoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whosoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save, will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So by admitting your need for a Savior, you are acknowledging that you cannot do uh, things on your own or without God. In fact, you will need him to live. Thank him for being your father and providing a savior that you can have a relationship with. <clears throat> Another point is pureness and sincerity of heart. Isaiah twenty nine thirteen says, Therefore the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandments of men. Only you and the Lord know if your heart is pure and if you have an open relationship with him. Jesus promised that those um, sincere in their devotion to God would see him. If you are praising and honoring God with your words, but your heart is not sincere, then judgment is waiting. To be surrendered to God requires a heart that is sincere and truthful. Another point is prayer. 1 John 5, 14 and 15 say, Now this is the confidence we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that these, we have these petitions that we have asked of him. Prayer is a, an essential part of our communication with God. Prayer enables us to learn what God would have us to do in specific situations. We must have willing and sensitive hearts to the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. God does speak to his people today, and we must do our part by speaking to him as well. Another point is renew your thoughts. Romans 12 verse 2 says, one and two, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. When we surrender, it must include a transformation of the mind, a renewing of the thought patterns. And I believe that a life that is lived honestly and with a meek spirit will stand out as being different to the world around us. And that's one way to prove God's perfect will. Another is to recognize God's word, to recognize God's word for what it is. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13 tells us that God's word is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. 
If we can recognize that, uh, we will be humbled in time. It says, uh, for the word of God is, is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and, to the, and of the joints and the marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him, to him, to whom we must give account. <clears throat> 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that God's word is profitable to us in our daily life. It says, All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. We must fill our minds with God's wisdom. We need to spend time in God's word to be refreshed and reminded of the truth. Reading scripture is a means of boistering our faith. It is part of how we communicate with God when we, and when correction and instruction is needed, we must be willing to surrender to God's work in us. <clears throat> Another is to let go and let God. John 15, five through eight says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So will you be my disciples. Obedience is a way to surrender. Furthermore, uh, surrendering to God requires re relinquishing control and asking God to take control of our lives and providing uh, and to provide us with everything that we need. <clears throat> now the last one is worship the Lord. John 4:24 says, "God is a spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth." Our response to God is to live a surrendered life to him which includes praise and worship singing songs of praise uh, to the lord with a grateful heart uh, reflects or redirects our thoughts and our feelings worship and song is one of the most effective ways of spreading the gospel and of refreshing our own hearts and minds <clears throat> this verse does not specifically mention singing but that's where my mind went when i read it a worship service without singing is severely lacking. So is, is bondage, is it bondage to be surrendered? Is it weakness to be surrendered? <clears throat> Who or what shall we be surrendered to? Should we be surrendered to? <clears throat> A totally surrendered life is sometimes saying no to the things that hinder me from becoming all that my Heavenly Father wants me to be in any given situation. A total surrender might sometimes be the opposite, saying, yes, Lord, use me whenever, wherever, and however. <clears throat> the goal of the Christian life can be summed up by Galatians 2, verse 20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. 
It is no longer it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. <clears throat> Such a, a life of surrender is pleasing to God. And a life like that results in the greatest human fulfillment. And we'll reap uh, eternal rewards in heaven one day. <clears throat> Let's have a song.